here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.1 FM in Johannesburg. The year that was health in South Africa, Mr. Marcus Lowe, editor of Spotlight, is on the line to give us a sense as to exactly what are some of the major stories that gripped the headlines this year, locally and even abroad perhaps, insofar as it relates to health in 2021. Another tumultuous year in under a thousand words. That's the name of the, or that's the title of the article anyway that he penned. I'll give him some time now to just quickly go through and rehash this particular article before we can engage some of the thorny or sticky issues in it. Marcus, over to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening. Um, good evening, Tanzibar. Thank you very much. Um, so, I mean, it's not a mystery that it's been the year of another year of COVID-19. And I think that is something everyone knows. Everyone is quite tired of by now. Um, but it's worth looking back at some of the numbers. Um, Sorry, Marcus, so can medical... I briefly interrupt? I beg your pardon. Could you just try and speak a little away from your mic? You, you, you are rather drowned. I don't know what it is that is drowning you. Can you just do what you think is necessary then, just so that we can have a more clearer voice? Is this better? Otherwise, I can switch my yes, microphone. Certainly. It is certainly better. Okay. So, yeah, I was saying that, I mean, one starting point would be to say that um, the Medical Research Council estimates that there was over 190,000 excess deaths in South Africa, excess natural deaths this year in 2021, um, which is a shockingly high number if you think about it. That's 190,000 people who would have been with us now, um, or at least that's the estimate, had it not been for COVID-19. So. If you think about it in that way, it's quite shocking. I mean, we've had, we started the year with the wave of COVID-19. We had a big wave in the middle of the year, and as everyone knows, we're in the third one now. So it's been a it's been a devastating year. Um, I think it, it's just worth acknowledging the, the toll that's taken, as I say, in terms of life, but also other health programs, our HIV program to Canuck, the TB program to Canuck. Um, there's been a lot of hunger in the country, a lot of joblessness. So it, it's, yeah, we'll talk about a lot of other things, but it's worth acknowledging that. Um, so we've vaccinated, well, we've fully vaccinated about 15.3 million people. So, you know, some people would say that's a very good achievement. Um, I think it's it's quite impressive the uh, effort that healthcare workers in both the private and the public sector put in, and administrators, etc., to get us there is very impressive. Um, but it's worth keeping in mind that the target was 40 million initially. Um, so it, it depends how you look at it. It's, it's you know, some of those impressive. Impressive. Others would say we should have vaccinated many more people before the third wave, and then we may have saved many more lives. Um, that said, we had a number of unforeseen setbacks. People remember the, in February the plane with the AstraZeneca vaccines landed in the country to much fanfare. 
And then within days, we got the news that that vaccine doesn't work as well as we as we, we believed it did. Um, there was an issue with J&J vaccines. With there was a even an issue with AstraZeneca from an expiry date perspective, isn't it? Yeah, so there were all these things. Um, and now, you know, Omicron coming out of nowhere. So it was a tough year for our leaders. There's a lot of unpredictability, a lot of nasty surprises. Um, so to some extent, you have to cut them some slack. But then, on the other hand, it's also the year of digital vibes. Um, and people remember the digital vibes scandal, that and a whole host of other corruption scandals relating to um, personal protective equipment tenders in various provinces. Um, so that's, I mean, that's another disturbing side of what's happened this year. A lot of corruption. Um, that those reports, if I special investigating unit at least looked into it, um, you know, they, you might say there's been a positive in that the Minister of Health had to resign because of that scandal. So, That's not a positive, though. Sorry, I'm actually going to get into the issues now. Why would that mm-hmm. that Zuelim Kizer resigned was a positive? Why was he not dismissed? I think what would have driven the point home that would speak of a national opprobrium on his conduct would have been for him to be dismissed as for him to have the honor to, as it were, leave on his terms. Surely we missed an opportunity there. And I'm saying we, it really was something that only the president as a decision could effect. I, I actually agree with you, Um Absolutely, we should have zero tolerance for corruption. Certainly at the point where there's an SIU report on the president's desk, he should act swiftly. Um, but I, I guess the point I was making was that you know, a few years ago, I think Nkiza wouldn't necessarily have been forced to resign. So, you know, at least there's, there's, there's some progress in that sense, and that his position became untenable. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean we're in the clear. There's, there's a lot of um, alleged corruption out there. There's even in this case, it's not clear that uh, whether there will be any criminal follow-up and what the outcome of that will be. Um, you know, what we often see in government is that people are accused of corruption. They might get removed from the position they're in, but some years later they resurfaced in Parliament or in another province. Or, you know, so, those, so, so, so I guess that brings me to the, the, the third issue that um, amidst COVID-19 and the digital vibe scandal, there's, there's still a broader problem in our national health department, our provincial health department, where there appears to be a chronic lack of capacity. Um, and we see this in reports of um, healthcare worker shortages, medicines being out of stock. You know, these reports that we've seen chronically for much of the last decade. Um, hospitals, you know, without clean linen and these kind of scandals that we report on every few months and they, they just don't, don't seem to ever go away. So I guess 
that feels like an old story, but we have to keep talking about it because that's ultimately the kind of thing we need to fix. Um, and then I guess the other thing that's still lingering in the background is national health insurance. Um, you remember a bill went to Parliament um, well over a year ago now, and throughout the year we've had various parliamentary consultations on that bill, um, you know, extensive public input. Various people have raised concerns about the bill. I guess the bottom line is NHI has been delayed by COVID-19. But the bill is still there in Parliament, and we probably will see some form of NHI bill become law in the next year or so. So, you know, that's the process that is coming. A lot of people think that will fix, or not a lot of people. Um, some people, in, in, in certainly in the ANC, think NHI is the panacea that's going to fix all the issues in our healthcare system. I think it's more complicated than that. But anyway, that's, that's something that will play out um, over the next year. I don't know if you want to go Yeah, I, I, I do want to engage some of the issues because, I mean, I think you have lamented some of the problems in healthcare in the broad sense. And, and a lot of these problems really do come with how the nation spends it's money. I mean, give me my way to last year in the first COVID report, and this was now the Auditor General just having a look at the expenditure of COVID-19 related procurement. He was at pains to say that the regulatory environment is weak. There is neither accountability nor political will to sort some of the age-old challenges that Auditor General report after the other had lamented and even in some cases red flagged as problems such that when the emergency procurement for COVID last year started and at the point at which he started the report, which I think was mid-year until September when he released it, he had lamented these funds are going to continue disappearing as it were precisely because of the procurement enterprise is as poisoned as it is. A year later, not even a year later, in fact, his successor, um, Zagani Malulega, said pretty much the same thing. Do you get the sense then, part of our gross problems in healthcare, public healthcare in particular, are because we do not have a grip, a firm grip, on public procurement in this country? For instance, I mean, the article mentions that Dr. David Muta was appointed CEO of the Health Professions Council. He was soon suspended after appearing in court relating to alleged contraventions of PFMA. He's one of thousands of accounting officers who would similarly be before the authorities if only there was a political will to unravel their conduct. And I'm not necessarily speaking to the guilt or otherwise of the individual, but purely on just what we know happens with public finances. Could this not be the base of the rot? Yeah, I mean, certainly, Sangeeva, what we've seen in our reporting over the years is that, especially in provincial health departments, and it, it's worth keeping in mind our healthcare system is run by provinces. National makes policy, but the provinces implement and they spend most of the money. Now, a lot of provincial health departments have been, I'd say, hollowed out over the years. 
mostly because of political appointments. Um, so I think that this is a problem in the public service more generally. But um, people, you know, they're supposed to be the way the Constitution defines it. It's supposed to be a distinction between politics, the you know the MEP for health or the minister, and the, the people who actually implement the director general and the heads of departments. Now those distinctions get blurred all the time, and I think that is the that is the root of the problem because that allows positions in health departments to become politicized, um, and then people get jobs, and then there's an expectation that they will turn a blind eye if there's suspected corruption and, and that kind of thing. So that's a pattern that we see all the time. And, you know, we've had whistleblowers who've, who come to us because there's nowhere they feel there's nowhere else they can go. And then eventually they are the people who are suspended. And uh, people who perpetrate the alleged corruption are still there. Um, you know, what the metaphor we like to use is that uh, the new dawn hasn't yet come to the provinces. And, you know, many of the, uh, shall we say, deaths and ruins are still still in their position. Nationally, we've gotten rid of most of them, but in the provinces, they're all still there. Um, you know, people appointed for the wrong reason. So that, you know, there's a whole rabbit hole of political issues we can go yeah, into. Yeah, we could, um, we won't, because we simply don't yeah. have time, but I actually want to take a short ad break now because I really do want to focus on the vaccination rollout in this country and what you make of the commentary that has since come out following the president suggesting that we have to go the route of mandatory vaccinations. The time is 21.40. My guest is Mr. Marcus Lowe, editor of Spotlight, an in-depth public interest health journalistic platform. After the ad break, we will spend no more than three, four minutes wrapping up the show. Hashtag SFM Viewpoint. We're back. We are live. 2142, Mr. Marcus Lowe, editor at Spotlight Magazine. That is, I mean, sorry, Spotlight, an in-depth public interest health journalistic platform, also available online as spotlightnsp.co.za, where you can engage matters of national importance insofar as it relates to healthcare. And there probably are very few things that would compete with the vaccination rollout as the leading healthcare program of the country right now. What do you make of the fact that only 15 million people of the target of 40% of 40 million, I beg your pardon, would have been the target of the administration when vaccinations were available to the country? And perhaps in that conversation, we should have a conversation about what now is the development around mandatory vaccinations. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we made some mistakes early on. I think the... You know, the, we rolled it out, we started too late to start with. Um, arguably, the Minister of Health and even the President himself should have gotten involved and made sure the ne- negotiations happened earlier. Um, so the first problem was that we only really started in May with mass vaccination. Um, you know, we don't have time to dissect every detail, but I think... Initially, at least, they made it a bit too hard for people to get vaccines. Um, 
Right now, for example, as well, some people can get boosters, but you need a doctor's note. You know, that's just, it's too hard. We should make it as simple as possible. I think, um, you know, some provinces like Limpopo have done great in taking vaccines to where the people are. Um, the evidence shows that it's not so much vaccine hesitancy that that's the problem. It's, it's more that you know, people just don't have time, they can't get off work, or the vaccination site is too far, they don't know about it. It's, 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 it's often those issues rather than people being vaccine skeptics, etc. I mean, the evidence actually shows that the vaccine deniers or serious skeptics is a very small percentage. They might be very loud on Twitter, but in reality, they are a small group. So I guess that is the issue, getting the vaccine to people and then engaging with people. You have to do a lot of on-the-ground mobilization where people have fears. I think it's worth listening to people and, you know, having a discussion and, um, you know, not just assuming people, making assumptions about people, listen to their concerns and then, and then take it from there. Do you have um, opinions on... The on of, yeah, yeah, sure. I beg your pardon, go on. Yeah, on the mandate, so I knew we wanted to get there. And so my personal view is that mandates are a good idea, but you should only impose them on people who can comply, the people who have had ample opportunity to get vaccinated. And in this country, even though we've been doing vaccinations for a while, I'm not convinced that everybody has, you know, some people don't have travel money to get to the vaccination site. I think that's a bit, you know, I wish we could solve that, but for that person, it's a legitimate reason not to get, you know, why they decide not to get vaccinated. So I'm in favor of um, mandates for people who are in a position to, to adhere to them. So certainly big gatherings, big sports gatherings, etc., cetera, um, workplaces, um, and so on. Yeah. Very well. Let's leave it there. Um, thank you so much for your time, Mr. Marcus Lowe, editor of Spotlight, giving us a sense as to the leading stories in healthcare in this country for the year 2021. 2146 is now the time of course, there will be the book reading, but I do remind you that we are in a different scheduling, if you like. It is festive scheduling, so there will not be another news bulletin for this evening. You can catch that from tomorrow. It's been a pleasure being back with you. Song as is out tonight. Back again tomorrow for the last time before Christmas. Good evening, everybody.